Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the OWL podcast. For this podcast, we're going to change things up a little bit, and we're going to have a panel of well-known ladies on. Sue, Megan, and Carrie are going to talk all about what they think the next generation of schedulers should look like and what skills they should have. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the OWL podcast. Today, we're going to mix it up a little bit, and we're going to have a panel instead of just one person. We have Sue, Carrie, and Megan on the line with us, and today we're going to talk about what does the next generation of schedulers look like? What do they need to know? Uh, Where are they coming from? Anything that might come to our mind as we are looking into the future. So I'm going to start off with introducing uh, or letting Sue introduce herself. So I'm going to hand it over to Sue. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, um, Sue. Thanks hey, for listeners. joining. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate this, um, this opportunity. And um, again, you gave away my name, so um, I'll go ahead and continue that. Um, my name is Sue Sapotmixai. I work for Satcom Direct as a sales engineer. So um, what I do pretty much on a daily basis is try to find um, a really great software solution for flight departments. As we know, all flight departments have all these different unique um, you know, requirements, requests, things like that. So what I try to do is kind of bridge the gap between our engineering teams and also the flight departments. And so for me, that has really created um, a lot of interest in learning all of these different, um, all, all of these different nuances from the flight departments and allows me to bring better solutions to help um, our company, you know, um, find solutions for our, cu- our customers as well as prospective customers. So, That's um, a- yeah. So I've That's- actually been in aviation for about over 15 years. And uh, I kind of didn't really know that there was this part of the aviation um, industry at all, BizAv. Um, I, um, so I got into it a long time ago and I, you know, what keeps me in it is the people in this industry. They are very giving yeah. and very passionate and that's what just really keeps me going here. So thank you. It's true. It's true, Sue. And you know, Sue, you and I have known each other for, I think it's been almost 15 years. I know. It's, um, we go it's back. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like you said, you meet some long-term friends in this industry. So awesome. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. So let me hand it over then over to Carrie. Carrie works for Harley Davidson. And Carrie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, I am Carrie Wicht, and I am the um, business travel flight coordinator for Harley Davidson Motor Company. Um, I'm going on six years now with Harley. Um, we are a small department. We have a Challenger 300. Um, there's a total of six of us on our team. Basically, I. Uh, I'm the right-hand gal to the director, so I'm helping him out with all of his projects and keeping the team afloat. So um, I've been in aviation for, gosh, over 20 years now. I started um, in high school. Right out of high school, I started doing line services at my local airport. Um, Started working with the flight school and the charter department there. Um, Left that and went to a 135 operator 
Um, and now I've been with Harley. So, um, yeah. So happy to be here and share some information. Awesome. Thank you for coming, Carrie. You, it sounds like your background has come from all sorts of different sections of aviation. I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned flight training and FBO and charter and now uh, flight department. Part yeah. 91, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so our next panelist is Megan Knox, and she is with Liberty Global. So let me pass it over to Megan, and she can introduce herself. Thanks, Lindsay. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Megan Knox. I'm a Part 91 with Liberty Global out of Centennial, Colorado. And my story is similar to Carrie. I started in aviation to begin with, but uh, my story starts way back in high school. I told my parents I wanted to be a pilot. And my dad thought that was a little bit of a crazy dream since I hadn't had much exposure to aviation in my life. So he went ahead and sent me to summer camp and said, if you enjoy this summer camp, then we'll consider paying for you know a degree in aviation for you. And I went to summer camp to fly a Mooney and it was the best experience I've ever had in my whole life. And I came home and said, that's what I'm doing. I'm gonna be a pilot. So I went and got a four year bachelor's degree in aviation. And unfortunately at the time I was entering the aviation world. Um, lots of pilots were being furloughed. It was a really tough time in the industry. And I went to a career fair and met um, my first boss who offered me an interview as a scheduler, which I didn't have a lot of um, knowledge about at the time, but I took a chance on it and decided I would do it for a few years to see how it went. And that was almost 20 years ago. And I've been scheduling ever since. Um, my role for about three years, and it has expanded beyond just scheduling now. Now I do tax, legal, accounting, reporting. Um, It's kind of the whole gamut, if you will, of the operations kind of behind the scenes in the flight department. That's awesome. I'm kind of curious. So you wanted to be a pilot. When you started down that journey, um, did you know that there was much going on like in the general aviation side, or was it really just commercial that you were thinking of? So when I first started down the path, I was really only aware of commercial operations. However, the flight school that I went to um, did actually have quite a bit of um, touch with the corporate side. And a lot of my um, colleagues and friends from my college days have become corporate pilots themselves or involved in corporate flight departments. So we still all stay in close contact and that's kind of a better unique part of my journey. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Very cool. All right. Well, now um, we've heard kind of where all of us came from. Uh, Now we're going to talk about where we think this industry is heading. And I think the the first thing we're going to talk about is remote work, because, of course, with the pandemic, um, that has changed, I think, probably 100% of the flight departments and the way they do their work. And so I'm just kind of curious if each of us could maybe share how it's changed in our own departments. Um, Carrie, maybe you could, I know you have a a kind of a hybrid model, I believe. What have you guys, uh, how have you adjusted your schedule? Sure. Um, So once uh, COVID hit the U.S., um, Harley did go to remote work. So I was work from home. Um, We are slowly transitioning back to the hangar. I am going in once per week just for some, you know, to pick up mail, some supplies, invoicing, uh, filing and stuff like that. But otherwise I'm pretty much working from home. Um, I'm the only scheduler for Harley. So I am pretty much on call 24 seven, 
you know, I don't really have a lot of scheduled off time. So um, I'm able to work wherever. I mean, I, I mentioned the other day that I, you know, worked a trip when I was sitting in the dentist chair. So um, <laughs> wow. if you have the tools and stuff. I mean, you just pick it up and do it. So, um, but Harley is thinking going forward that they're going to be more uh, flexible with the work environment and allowing people to work um, work from home or wherever they're most comfortable. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you touched on that one um, topic of technology. We're going to talk about that later on today, but um, that's a big topic as well. If you have the right tools and the technology to do it, you can do it almost from anywhere. So, um, Megan, how about you? How have you guys um, adjusted to the whole pandemic and work at home? So, yeah, I've been home for a year. As of a year ago, I plan to um, take a vacation and back to the office really since. Um, we have office space. Our headquarters is downtown Denver, and the whole environment down there has changed as well due to the um, restrictions within our state and COVID. Um, at one point, we were down to only 25% of the office was allowed to go into the office. Um, since then, it's recovered some, but there's also been a shift in the attitude downtown. Maybe people don't need to be in an office all the time. Um, out at the hangar, I have been in a handful of times to help see passengers off, check passports, um, been very regular part of our operation. But I have only showed up on days when there's been a big trip or you know they've needed additional support at the hangar. Other than that, um, I've been able to do everything I otherwise would do from home. So if that's been really awesome to have the support from management to go ahead and just make that transition. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And Megan, do you, in general, do you usually work at the hangar or would, would you have been at the office downtown? So um, my office is actually at the hangar. However, okay. I would go downtown for meetings as well. And all of that's pretty much moved forward at this point. Okay. All right. Interesting. All right. Stu, how about you with SATCOM? How are you guys? Doing it. There's the mute button or unmute. Um, but uh, <laughs> so I'm going to take this actually from more of a, a general um, observation, just because I, um, in my, you know, um, what I currently do for SACOM Direct, I speak to a lot of flight departments, and and um, I just um, wanted to kind of share what you know, what share some of that feedback and also just coming fresh off the virtual um, flight operations conference that MBAA just had, there was a lot of um, conversation in the chat panel um, in regards to remote work and how the, um, due to the pandemic, you know, we had to shift to, um, you know, working from home. And I think that, that that has always been a challenge in flight departments over the years of you need to be in the office, you know, you need to be in the hangar to be able to, um, you know, do do your job per se, right? But um, mm -hmm. what ended up happening with last year was, you know, everybody had to shift to work from home and, and um, you know, missions were still completed, you know, um, working remotely. And um, I think that now flight departments and organizations just in general are embracing the work from home and seeing that they're, you know, the flexibility is allowing the, the, um, the employees um, in a general scale to be, um, you know, kind of happier employees, which um, always, you know, equates to a happier 
work um, force and happier and uh, a better bottom line, right? And so we start seeing a lot of this information, you know, flow through um, actual uh, data that is coming out of the news, like different, you know, um, companies are shifting more to this remote work or the hybrid model because they're seeing such success with it. I think it's awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I remember trying to do some work at home and the department I worked for just could not, they just really struggled with it. And we, I could not get it implemented full time. And I think there's a lot of people who were in that same boat. They just, um, perhaps there was somebody in the office that really wanted to have and see a butt in the seat. And I think that this pandemic has been maybe not great, but at the same time for the remote work option, it's, it's been a really big eye-opening, um, I guess, endeavor for some of these companies because um, you really can get all of this work done uh, from home. And, and that kind of brings me to the next topic, which is Yes, you can do all of this work at home, but sometimes it requires you to be a little bit more resourceful. I would argue that there's, um, you know, things that have to be done a little bit differently. Uh, and, and you do have to be resourceful to figure out how to get those things finished. And um, let's, uh, Megan, let's start with you this time. What, what type of resourcefulness are you seeing needed out there? Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, I think resourcefulness is definitely the thing that's going to get us all through this remote work and make us come out the other side that much stronger. So one of the things that I found incredibly helpful during this time is that I sit on the MBAA Schedule Dispatchers Committee, and that has provided a great panel of people that I can go to with any sort of questions or how are you making this work? Anyone have any ideas that maybe at our department hasn't yet thought of and be able to bring those kind of back to my own group because um, it's a great diverse panel of lots of different and lots of different ways of doing things. So that's been fantastic. Um, over the past year, I also worked on my CAM certification and we had a study group of um, during that time that I was able to kind of lean on and get some ideas about, you know, what people were and weren't doing that was working well for them. So um, both Carrie and Sue run in both of those circles for me. So that's been helpful. And then on top of that, I think, you know, people that I've met at past conferences or past networking events, even though I don't get to see them in person anymore. And in the past, those were relationships that, you know, I would catch up on once a year or once a quarter, however often it was that we, you know, physically and geographically cross paths. I've learned to develop those relationships into being more um, via email and phone calls and things like that and make sure that we're touching and they've been just invaluable friendships to be able to advance my own career and then advance those of the people around me, making sure that our flight department is keeping up with the times. Oh, that's a great point. The networking piece of it is a huge piece of, of being resourceful, reaching out to the right people and staying connected with them. In fact, Sue, um, I was wanted to ask you when you were talking before, you talked about the virtual flight ops conference that just happened. Um, I thought that the networking piece of it, like the people that were willing to put information and chat, chat back and forth in the chat message was, was actually really good this time. Um, I, I found a little bit harder at the main MBAA one, at, but this one was a lot better. Did you see that as well? I did, and, and I, I, I've kind of been um, just, 
you know, chatting with Megan um, over the course of, you know, the end of the conference yesterday and just how I thought it was probably uh, one of the best conferences that I've been to. And, and generally from, for me being on the vendor side, I, I don't get a chance to really be able to, you know, sit down and actually listen to the sessions and things like that. So, um, and also, you know, working and also being on the schedulers and dispatchers committee and being a vendor, it's like triple the work. And so you don't get a chance to really um, basically absorb all of that work that you put into, you know, all of these different sessions that you put together, right? Because I'm on the education subcommittee that put, you know, all um, those classes together for SD. So um, I would say that, you know, it was nice to be able to jump in and out of sessions. I mean, there were sessions that, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're putting four sessions together in one block, it's yeah. hard to figure out which one you want to go to, right? And usually yeah. if you're on site, it's you pick one and, and you pick one and then hopefully you'll catch some notes somewhere else for another session. Whereas this was really nice to be able to jump into a session and then jump into another session, jump in and out and, um, you know, and uh, really be able to expose yourself to more, um, more classes. I agree. And if I'm not mistaken, the recordings are available, right, for the next 30 days. So we get to, to go back and listen to them. I, I agree. I really like that because I hated having to, you know, pick which class I was going to go to. Right. Sometimes it's, they make it, sometimes we, you know, we try to make it very hard um, with that lineup. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have um, access to review or, you know, um, review those sessions through March 25th. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a good, a good change uh, to the the way it went. Um, I think that Megan was talking about a really important thing as well that I feel like uh, we don't. And it was talking about the networking and um, and the groups that are out there. Um, I believe that. Carrie, do, do I remember you saying that you tried to put together or you have put together a group before of S&D people? And if you did, what was that like? Yeah, so um, me and another scheduler from uh, across, across the border down in Illinois um, tried to start a Wisconsin-Illinois group. Um, we went down a couple of different paths on how we could recruit schedulers and dispatchers to join um, our group. Um, we didn't know if we needed to be like sponsored by MBAA or if this is something we could just run on our own. So we had to do some research on that end. Um, but it, you know, unfortunately, time just got away from us and we kind of um, kind of fell to the back burner. Um, but most recently, there has been a group that has emerged uh, for Wisconsin, Illinois. So um, I do sit on that round table as well. But um, I, it's so beneficial to have uh, the industry contacts and to be able to reach out to people. Um, even, you know, NBA airmail is such a great resource. You know, if you have a question and you can't figure out the answer or your team is puzzled, it's such an easy way just to pop on there and, you know, send a quick email and the responses you get are, you know, fantastic. And sometimes you'll start a whole new conversation. So um, it's just important to, to network and 
um, look for those groups that are out there in your community and um, you know, even just going to the local airport and seeing what kind of groups are out there that you can maybe participate in. That's a great idea. Like there's women in aviation groups. There's yep. the, I think they're called wings where they let kids take their first airplane ride for free. There's, there are tons of opportunities out there um, that you can join and just get more involved. And I, just a quick plug for um, the S&D group, the MBAA S&D group has a Facebook page. There's also a couple other Facebook pages out there that talk about like international operations. And so if you have Facebook, that's a really great place as well to find resources and information. You can ask questions there as well. Um, how about any other resources that anybody uses or suggests a lot? Yeah, so Lindsay, let me, let me go ahead. One thought on that, Lindsay, is that it can feel um, kind of vulnerable to put yourself out there in some of these groups, but I found that the dividends that it pays back is well worth um, that risk. So um, I'm not usually one to put myself out on a forum, um, but especially in COVID times, it's um, been sort of a lifeline for me. So Sue, I think you had something to say as well. Yeah, so, you know, just kind of talking about all this, um, you know, the networking and, and the, the groups and and trying to be um, resourceful, right, um, to our organizations, because I think we all feel this way, right, in our in our um, positions, whether we're in operations or just um, in a position where you reach so many different um, departments, right, um, on the corporate level, um, as without as well as your own flight department, is that you know, like you're the hub, right? So everybody comes to you and asks you all these questions and. I mean, you're, you're not going to know everything, right? But at least these networks and these resources like MBAA, Airmail, and, and all of that, those are the people that you can tap for, for, um, you know, getting ideas, getting those um, answers back, you know? Um, and so that's a way that you can um, be resourceful for, to your organization is the wider your network is, the more opportunity, you know, for you to be able to assist in any, um, problems, situations, uh, questions that are, that arise, right? Um, and so, yeah, so it doesn't mean you know everything, right? Um, it just means that you can, you'll be able to get back to someone, whether, whether it means I've, I've exhausted my resources and I don't have an answer or, you know, I, um, I have an answer um, and this is what I've gotten from several people and it seems like a consensus of this is the response, you know? So, so I, I think I think sometimes we um, mistake that resourcefulness um, with having needing to have all of the answers, right? So I think um, just making sure that it's okay to ask for help, like uh, the lifeline thing uh, that you had mentioned, Megan. You know, um, yeah, just you know, well, find some. One thought about that too, Steve, is that sometimes when my own network, for whatever reason, doesn't have the answers, don't be afraid. Free to ask a supplier or a vendor that you work with, like Sue, you being at SATCOM. Um, sometimes we have issues and I don't know who else has had issues similar to ours, but my suppliers and my vendors have so many contacts that I can say, does anyone, do you happen to know a flight department size or with a similar issue? Can you point me in the right direction to someone perhaps I've never met before? Um, and I found that that can be incredibly helpful because once you find that match, um, you can solve problems so much faster and so much more efficiently. Absolutely. 
It's a really great point. And uh, yeah, super great point. And I think that um, it kind of brings us to part of our, well, two things in our next topic and it's leadership is what I was gonna talk about next. And um, I think the next generation of schedulers gonna to want to have more of a leadership position and going back to knowing or having resources in your legal department, in your tax department, in all sorts of different departments um, helps you be a stronger leader and uh, will also help you, I think it's just gonna, the more skills you have, the more opportunity you have to stay with the current company that you're with um, long-term. So if I could switch the conversation just a little bit over towards leadership and um, what does leadership look like to you guys? Um, maybe uh, Carrie, you had talked about scholarships. Um, how does that help you? Um, so yeah, I was fortunate enough to receive a, a scholarship from MBAA, the Jake Cartwright um, scholarship to pursue my camp education. Um, and I, you know, decided to go down the cam path uh, just because I felt like it was the next step in my career. I feel like, um, you know, I have a, a director who does a, an amazing job. Um, but he is very busy and he relies on me for a lot of stuff. And I felt that the CAM certification would help me um, support him better as well as our team. Um, so I would for sure say that uh, the scholarships, you know, can help you achieve your goals, you know, from a financial standpoint. Um, the, the scholarships are, you know, there's, gosh, I don't know how many MBA has available, but they're, um, just wonderful. I mean, I've received two of them um, since I've been with Harley. So, uh, and I know Megan is on the scholarship committee for NBA. So maybe. Yes. Yeah. For the past uh, two years, I've been the chair of the scholarship committee for schedules and dispatchers. And it's been awesome to be able to help propel and move forward a lot of people's careers. Um, we have training scholarships and monetary scholarships. And uh, prior to joining the committee, I was a scholarship recipient myself from MBAA. And it allowed me to attend a conference at a time in my career when I didn't have much forward movement. Um, so that really helps keep my network alive for me at a time when I was trying to figure out my next move. So um, as far as the training and the monetary scholarships, usually they open for our committee. Um, towards the end, mid to end of summer. And then they're usually open until just before base would happen in a normal calendar year. And I think this past year we had close to 15 uh, recipients and they vary all across the board, everything from getting a dispatch scholarship to preparing for the CAM exam, to a monetary award of your choice, um, perhaps there's something you've been really wanting to brush up on skill set wise or to attend a conference. Um, so that's been really fantastic. I highly apply. I was at a point in my career where I felt like I had had enough experience behind me that why would I um, be an eligible scholarship recipient? Surely there's people out there who are just starting out that would need it more. But the scholarships that MBAA offers are truly for anyone at any point in their career, whether it be just looking to gain an additional certification to 
looking to get started in the industry. So don't sell yourself short, definitely apply. And like Carrie said, do what you can to broaden your um, resume in a way that feels meaningful. I think that's a really good point too, because I have gotten actually a scholarship from MBAA as well, and it was many years ago, but um, I applied thinking, I guess, well, I should say I didn't apply for many years, and then I decided I would go ahead and do it because I figured there was probably many other people, you know, way more qualified than I was, and um, um, and then I applied and I received one, which was excellent, and it did help my career out a lot. So I'll second that. Go, you know, the scholarships are awesome, and uh, you need to just go for it and apply. So, um, so I actually want, I'm, I was going to add to that. So I'm glad you mm -hmm. said that, Megan, in regards to the scholarships about like not um, worrying about where you are in your career, because I think a lot of people, I, I know that this is something that um, definitely, um, you know, coming from myself thinking, you know, I had I have all these years in the industry, why would I get a scholarship over somebody that's just starting out, right? So it's kind of the purpose of the scholarship and things like that. So don't, don't, um, you know, don't worry about like where you are in your career. Um, the scholarships are for everyone. And I would say, you know, there's a ton of those, right? Women, women in aviation, MBAA, but also there are scholarships and internships within your companies. Um, and so there's opportunities that um, your own company, uh, you know, um, puts out there and don't be afraid to go and, and um, seek those out or ask those questions because I know some organizations, they, they, um, they give you an X amount of dollars per year for continuing education. Not a lot of people know about that and not a lot of people take advantage of that. Um, they also have um, some companies are, have a lot of like uh, seminars, three-day seminars, four-day four seminars, um, in regards to specific topics and things like that. So kind of growing, um, diversifying what you, you know, diversifying all of your knowledge as well by taking advantage of those things. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, definitely look, you know, seek it, um, seek those resources and, and um, it, to be able to find out what else you can go um, apply for and just keep on expanding that knowledge. A great point, Sue, because I think that I've met some schedulers over the years that, you know, are, you know, comfortable where they're at and or unsure of the next opportunity. And don't be afraid to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and go for those scholarships or um, opportunities within your own company. Um, they're there for a reason and everybody deserves to take advantage of them. I've even heard of some companies who will allow, give you the time. Um, like, well, let's say you're taking a longer certification, like your CAM. I don't know how it went for you, Megan. Maybe it's a little bit slower these days, but um, I was working on some extra classes and my uh, employer not only helped pay for them, but they also allowed me like in office work time to do some of the studying. Uh, I've seen that out there in more than one company, so. I think sometimes people are like, well, what, man, I've got all this work to do and I, um, I, there's no way I could fit in another class or learning something new. But if you talk to your employer, um, they might just do it for you time-wise too. Okay. Um, I, 
wanted to talk about, um, I guess the classes brings me to the diversification of, of talent. So if you were to look out there and you saw a class and maybe it has something to do with finance and which is really maybe not in your wheelhouse, but it could be. And I guess I'd like to talk about um, looking outside of maybe what you're doing now, like Sue was talking about and learning something completely new that might have a benefit to your job. Oh, I guess in a, almost in a side way of uh, finance, I think is a huge thing that a lot of us don't come in to the aviation industry knowing, but it's really important. I mean, it really is part of our daily uh, aviation lives. Does anybody? Hey, Lindsay, let, let me chime in on that one. Um, so this is something, again, just kind of uh, being, you know, talking to a lot of flight departments and um, this one of the things, you know, going back to the leadership aspect and, and being a leader of a department and things like that, like there's been a, a major, you know, major shift over the years of, you know, the flight departments have now become a real arm, right? Um, not that they weren't, but a real arm of, um, you know, corporations. And so with that, you have to be a little bit, you know, even though um, you have to be more budget minded, you have to have that financial savvy to be able to say, okay, how do we about, you know, we need to, to cut back certain things. So, you know, having that financial aptitude and the, the, all of that information, like you, you know, you really um, need those uh, different skill sets and go look for those different classes to be able to help you in that role, right? So I know Megan has taken on that role and I'm gonna pick on her. And, um, and she's taken on that role and, and we've had some chats on the finance side and um, you know, she's doing in, in incredible things for um, her flight department in, in, in regards to that piece of it. Thanks Sue. I was gonna say, yeah, Lindsay, you really, I think in the role of scheduler, um, it's so many more things these days than it was when I first started out in this role, as far as oftentimes we're the people that are the, in an admin type role and someone's got to get the job done. And while the pilots are out on the road flying and the mechanics are turning wrenches, um, the easiest place to drop a new project is kind of on a scheduler. Um, so <laughs> I've gotten very involved in timeshare agreements and um, legal structure and importation of aircraft, accounting, purchase orders, all of that. Um, I know Carrie supports her flight department doing a lot of similar tasks as well. And so having that business management understanding beyond just the flight operation has, I think, become a new standard hat that a lot of more schedulers are wearing these days than they used to. Um, a lot of of our accounting team downtown, um, our general counsel will push back things back on the flight department to help um, see, get our viewpoints, our perspective, and um, actually empower us to be a lot more involved than perhaps we would have been in you know years past. So we really have a seat at the table downtown. Um, our VP gets involved in a lot more meetings, and we have a really visible presence within the company. Everyone knows we have corporate jets and how we use them to benefit our um, stakeholders and shareholders and things like that um, is really important. And it's important that we have a, a good reputation throughout that process. And part of that is being sure that we have um, 
employees within the department that are able to really, you know, speak knowledgeably about lots of more things than just the operation itself. Very good point, definitely. And so that kind of um, makes me think about wonder when we're hiring the next generation of schedulers, or maybe we're just hiring somebody under us. Um, what is that going to look like? Like, perhaps we can pull somebody that has an accounting background or an accounting degree, perhaps we don't need it to be in the aviation management section, perhaps it could be in a technology. I mean, technology is a huge thing. If we can um, harness somebody's superior knowledge on technology to maybe make processes in our flight department better, I think that'd be a place we could look as well. Does anybody have any experience or has anybody hired from someplace other than aviation? Lindsay, I'll, I'll speak on that. So I haven't um, hired um, anybody, but I'm also not in a position, you know, in operations like um, Megan and Carrie, but I, I will say that in regards to an individual that I would be looking for to be able to step into um, a role for this industry is, you know, I, I do, I would like them to have, um, you know, for them to be tech savvy, right? Because that, that, is over time things that, um, you know, I don't, I mean, for them to come in with that and having uh, having some experience, that's less on for me to be able to educate them. And, and as we know, everybody's wearing a million hats, right? And so those are some of the things where, okay, what can, you know, what, what do I have? What can I um, teach them? Right, and what are the things that is going to be very difficult to teach them that, you know, honestly, I, I don't have the time to do, right? Because I wear a million hats and, and we all do in, in our positions. And especially with uh, COVID um, last year um, and even now is, um, you know, we've had reductions in workforce, right? So that means more hats of those individuals that were, that, that are not with us. So, um, so I think, you know, kind of, you kind of have just to weigh out, like um, what is what is teachable easily and what's not, right? I mean, something on, you know, if I'm gonna hire somebody, I'd like them to have aviation and business aviation experience because sometimes that's really hard to teach them all of that and then get them in front of a customer to have a conversation, you know? So um, so I just think it, it, it depends on the role, um, but it also depends on, what is going to be something quick that you could, you know, you can be patient and teach them and what is gonna, you know, is going to take a long time because it's difficult. Like I could tell you the tax um, stuff that uh, Megan does, um, timeshares, that definitely uh, over time, you would really have to try to <laughs> try to understand that. I've been to many tax conferences and I still don't know all of that, all of what they talk about because um, they get really detailed and, and uh, they speak, you know, the the numbers. Um, so, you know, the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know the different um, tax codes and things like that. And that's just not something that I could, you know, that education that um, for them to understand that is turned around quickly. Um, sure. Just to add on that, I would say um, if you have somebody 
that is from a different, that has a different background, that doesn't have a business aviation background, I think if that person comes to you with the willingness to learn and to take this on, I think they could potentially be a rock star. You know, they, um, if they're excited about aviation, you know, I mean, I think that person could totally pick up a job and, and run with it, so. Yeah, very true. Sorry, Megan, go ahead. No, it's fine. I think that um, passion um, for all the people we've all met in aviation, that's one of those common threads that happens amongst all of us. We all have this passion to know more and do more and um, make our operations successful. So if you're able to interview someone and you see that fire in them, that they're willing to kind of take on the world, if that's what's asked of them, that that will in turn pay dividends to you. So um, I think from a company standpoint though, it's really important to um, offer your employees the ability to um, gain more education if that's what it takes by setting them to say the tax conference, which Sue and I have spent many more hours than I think either of us ever anticipated at the beginning of our careers. Um, but the first time I got sent, I'm not gonna lie, part of me <laughs> thought, really a tax conference, like this is what my career has come to. And yet at the same time, it's pivoted into this thing that I love and have embraced and had allowed me to be employed in my current job, which I will love so much. So, um, you know, afford your employees the ability to um, apply for scholarships, afford them the time off and or the money to be able to pursue education that they may be lacking in some way. Um, and keep that fire burning, right? That motivation. You can't, it's a lot harder to teach someone motivation than it is to teach them a skill set. So if they come to you with motivation and a great attitude, like foster that and continue to let that grow because um, I think that's what's made us all so connected in BizAv is being able to find other like-minded individuals that have this strong passion for what we do. Yeah, and actually I'll add to that, right? So the, um, what you had just said, uh, Megan, is, you know, that, um, you know, having that, that you know, that, that burning desire and the passion to keep on going and educating yourself and, and wanting more and learning more, um, that comes from also finding really good mentors. And I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, like, um, I've been very fortunate in, in my BizAv career to have mentors, um, from the beginning of when I started in the industry, all the way through through now, and um, and you know um, and it's it, it's it's really allowed me to keep on you know having that um, burning desire you know to be passionate and 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 I thirst for knowledge you know uh, on a daily basis and and uh, it's great to you know with this flight operations conference, you see that. You you see that even though you're not seeing the faces, but you see that because of all that engagement. That is a really good and important thing. And I, sometimes I think people are like, well, where do I find a mentor, right? So if I could just throw in a little plug for the MBAA, they have a mentor mentee program going on. And I don't recall um, when you can apply. I believe we talked about this at the OWL call, but uh, there are a ton of great people out there that could be your mentor. And on the other hand, that is a really good way to give back to the community by teaching them, teaching others or mentoring others. Because I don't know how many schedulers that I've spoken with um, but over the years, but 
I would say like 98% of us came from not, we didn't think that scheduling and dispatching might be our career. We kind of fell into it. And I think that, so a lot of us are just kind of new to this job when we come in. Um, anyway, that's, that's where having that burning desire just to, to learn, uh, like you said, soon Megan and Carrie, it's super important. Yeah, and I'll say that, you know, I would say that the mentoring piece of it too is like, you don't even know that you're a mentor, right? You, someone comes to you and asks you, hey, I need help with this. And then they, they, then they continue to come back to you. And then you're like, wow, you know, like that wasn't, that was, um, you know, part of the plan, right? But it just happened to be. And I think um, I, I have not met anyone in this industry that, has um, basically uh, said, no, I'm not gonna help you. Like anything, anywhere, anyone that I talk to um, that's in this industry, if, if they will stop and help you and they will give you their time. And even if it's over, you know, the nine to five, right? Or we don't even know what that is, you know, in VizF, but, you know, after hours, we're still talking to those individuals and they still give their time. So. So you don't know, um, you don't have actually have to be, you know, labeled a mentor, just just be that person that is willing to help. Very true, which is exactly what you all are doing um, today, because um, really the goal of these podcasts is to try and reach more and more people and um, I guess create more of a community in our industry of schedulers and dispatchers. So I appreciate your time very much. Um, and yeah, I think this was a good discussion of, of what do you need going into our industry in the future? Um, where can you find the next scheduler? And so, yeah, thank you all three of you, um, Carrie, Megan, Sue, for joining me and talking to me about this. And if anybody wants to talk to Sue, Carrie, or Megan, just reach out to me at lindsay at ldaviation.net and I will, um, uh, I will get you in contact with them. Again, thank you very much for joining. Thanks, Lindsay. And we hope, hope to talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. Thank you.